Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the CYDC podcast. I am your host, Arushi, joined here today by... <laughs> I'm Mike. Hello, everyone. I'm up taking a big sip of coffee whenever I'm about to introduce you. <laughs> and on today's episode, we will be exploring adverse childhood experiences. So I'll hand it over to Mike to take it away. Thank you, Arushi. <laughs> um, so... Adverse childhood experiences, otherwise known as ACEs, are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood, um, so that's between the ages of 0 and 17. And it can include things like experiencing violence, abuse or neglect, witnessing violence in the home or community, having a family member attempt uh, or die by suicide. So those are just some examples of some events that might cause ACEs. So also included are aspects of the child's environment that can undermine their sense of safety, stability, and bonding, such as growing up in a household with substance use problems, uh, mental health problems, instability due to a parental separation, or household uh, members being in jail or in, in prison. And so please note the examples above are not meant to be a complete list of adverse experiences, but there are many other traumatic experiences that could impact health and well-being and could potentially be ACEs. Um, ACEs are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance use problems in adulthood. And ACEs can also negatively impact education, job opportunities, and earning potential. However, ACEs can be prevented, which we will touch on later in the episode. And knowing all of that, I mean, ACEs are actually quite common. Um, about 61% of adults surveyed across 25 states in the U.S. reported they, that they had experienced at least one type of ACE. And nearly one in six reported that they had experienced four or more types of ACEs. So preventing ACEs could potentially reduce a large number of health conditions. Um, for example, up to 1.9 million cases of heart disease, and 21 million cases of depression may be potentially avoided by preventing ACEs. Moving forward, some children are also at greater risk of others. We'll dive into this more in detail later on, um, but women in several racial and ethnic minority groups are at greater risk for having experienced four or more types of ACEs. And the last statistic we have here is that ACEs are costly. The economic and social costs to families, communities, and society totals hundreds of billions of dollars each year, which is why early you know, intervention and prevention is so important in these cases. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but that um, statistic of 61% of adults um, reported at least one type of ACE, um, mm -hmm. that's actually kind of not too surprising for me. I feel like a, a lot of kids and a lot of people have mm -hmm. um, a lot of different challenging experiences throughout their youth and I especially considering that it ranges from 0 to 17 yeah. there's a lot of things that can happen between 0 to 17 so um that wasn't too surprising but the one that was surprising was nearly one in 16 reported that they had four or more types of aces yeah so I feel that's like roughly I think 15 or 16 percent of kids so that's um that's a pretty I, I feel like that's a little bit that's kind of high yeah Definitely. And even for the 61%, I almost wonder if it might actually be more, but I think a lot of the time, you know, when we're kids, our interpretation of what we're experiencing, we might not realize that it's an adverse childhood experience. And even as adults, we might not realize it. 
Um, so I'm curious about kind of where exactly that stat was pulled from and how it was found. Um, but yeah, I think the one in six is definitely a little bit more kind of hard to hard to swallow because four or more definitely is a lot and one in six is a very big number statistic. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we'll kind of move on to the risk factors of ACEs. And it's important to mention that ACEs don't have a single cause and they can take several different forms. And many factors contribute to ACEs, including personal traits and experiences, parents, the family environment, and the community itself. So first we'll dive into some individual and family risk factors. And these can include um, families experiencing caregiving challenges related to children with special needs. So for example, disabilities, mental health issues, chronic, chronic physical illnesses, um, youth who start dating early or engage in sexual activity early, children and youth with few or no friends or with friends who engage in aggressive behavior, families with caregivers who were abused or neglected as children, families with low income, families experiencing high levels of parenting stress or economic stress, families with caregivers who use spanking and other forms of corporal punishment for discipline, families with inconsistent discipline and uh, or low levels of parental monitoring and supervision, families that are isolated from and not connected to other people, so extended family, friends, or neighbors, um, families with high conflict and negative communication styles, families with attitudes accepting of or justifying violence or aggression. Um, and there's much, much more. So this isn't even all the risk factors. This is just a condensed list. Um, so there are a bunch of factors um, within the family or individually um, that can contribute to ACEs. Mm -hmm. I think families aside, there are even community risk factors in addition to that. Um, so looking at it kind of on a wider scale, um, and other risk factors include communities with high rates of violence, poverty, crime, and limited educational and economic opportunities, communities with high unemployment rates and easy access to drugs and alcohol, as well as communities where neighbors don't know each other or don't really look out for each other, and just in general where there's low community involvement amongst residents. In addition to that, communities with few community activities for young people, I guess between zero to 17 years old, communities with unstable housing and where residents move frequently, where families frequently experience food insecurity, and lastly, communities with high levels of social and environmental, I guess, disorder and disarray. So Mike, kind of from the ones that we listed here, did you find any to be surprising or do you feel like all of these are to be expected generally when considering risk factors for ACEs? Yeah, there wasn't really one that was surprising to me or, or one that stood out. Mm -hmm. um, I think given the the big list, I think it kind of, um, the one thing I reflect on is kind of what we talked about earlier with that 61% and mm -hmm. um, the fact that there are so many things that can contribute. So I, I'm kind of, I'm not surprised at really. Yeah. Um, how about you? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm necessarily surprised by any of them either. I I guess I kind of also maybe wonder from like a cultural perspective how different cultures might view these risk factors and if this is like kind of a North American standard for what risk factors may be or kind of how that perspective might come into play when considering what risk factors are. Um, 
but yeah, from my lens, I, I agree. I don't think any of them were necessarily you know, surprising or unexpected in that sense. So moving forward, we will now get into ACEs and the brain. So there was a study that found uh, that there was a strong correlation between the number of ACEs and high-risk behavior in adulthood. So including smoking, alcohol, and substance misuse, promiscuity, and severe obesity. Especially significant was the link between the number of ACEs and physical health problems, such as heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease, strokes, diabetes, and an overall shortened lifespan. Moreover, there was a significant correlation between a high number of ACEs and mental health concerns, such as depression, anxiety, behavioral difficulties, and suicidality. MRI studies have also shown that the higher an individual's ACEs score is, the less gray matter they have in key areas of the brain, including the prefrontal cortex, which is an area related to decision-making and self-regulatory skills, and the amygdala, which is the fear processing center of the brain. Scientists have also found that when the developing brain is chronically stressed, as it is when one experiences a number of ACEs, the hippocampus, which is the area of the brain that processes emotion and memory and manages stress, shrinks. So overall, ACEs can impact brain development, which in turn impacts functions such as decision-making, self-regulation, fear processing, memory, and stress management. And this understanding helps us to grasp the complexity of the effects of trauma and what it does to a person. It's also important to note, however, that having a high number of ACEs does not mean a person will necessarily develop correlating physical and behavioral health concerns. It simply means that they are at a greater risk. Moreover, while ACEs can impact the development of the brain, the effect is not irreversible. Parts of the brain can grow and new pathways can develop, especially if there is you know, some sort of intervention at some point. For sure. And I think that last part about, you know, it's just because you have experienced an, an ACE, it doesn't necessarily mean that there are going to be these huge effects necessarily. And I think that kind of speaks to the resiliency of a, a lot of people and a lot of kiddos. And um, even with that, maybe even with that 61%, maybe that's partially why it's a little bit lower is because like you had mentioned before, maybe they're not even perceived as ACEs and those mm -hmm. impacts aren't really felt as much. Yeah. So for sure. And if we were to kind of look at other consequences of ACEs as well, um, on top of the brain, um, they can have lasting negative effects on health, well-being, as well as life opportunities, such as education and job potential. So these experiences can increase the risk of injury, sexually transmitted infections, maternal and child health problems, including teen pre pregnancy, pregnancy complications, and fetal death involvement in sex trafficking, and a wide range of chronic diseases and leading causes of death, such as cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and suicide. And so ACEs and associated uh, determinants of health, such as living under and under-resourced or racially segregated neighborhoods, frequently moving and experiencing food insecurity can cause toxic stress, um, which is extended or prolonged stress. And toxic stress from ACEs can change the brain development and affect such things um, and affect things like attention, decision making, learning, and response to stress. So children growing up, growing up with toxic stress may have difficulty forming healthy and stable relationships. They may also have unstable work histories as adults and struggle with finances, jobs, and depression throughout their life. These effects can also be passed on to their own children 
and some children may face further exposure to toxic stress from historical and ongoing traumas due to systemic racism or impacts of poverty resulting from limited educational and economic opportunities. And I think even um, when I read the uh, kind of toxic stress being passed on to kids, we kind of know a little bit about intergenerational trauma as well and the mm-hmm. stress from trauma and how it can be chemically passed on to kids. So um, that was uh, interesting. That might be uh, just something to note as well. Definitely, yeah. And I think even the piece that you mentioned about ongoing traumas due to systemic racism, um, kind of when thinking about ACEs and race, according to the 2016 National Study of Children's Health, it was found that children of different races and ethnicities actually don't experience ACEs equally. So when we're kind of looking at this more on a, I guess more with the numbers, um, nationally 61% of Black children and 51% of Hispanic children have experienced at least one ACE in comparison to 40% of white children and 23% of Asian children. In every region, the prevalence of ACE is actually lowest amongst Asian children and in most regions is highest amongst black children. Although ACEs affect people across race and ethnic and socioeconomic divides, patterns of adversity are differentially distributed across race and ethnicity and income, with some communities facing a disproportionate burden of trauma as compared to others. These inequities are also most evident in families and families of color, those living in poverty and in community contexts with vastly different resources. Researchers have taken the time to explore the interconnected and sometimes overlapping system of disadvantage that commonly occurs within the context of adverse community environments. And it was found that concentrated disadvantage exists amongst Black and Hispanic youth living in urban areas who are exposed at a higher rate to traumatic events than their white peers, not all the time, but more often than not. As a result, children and families of color residing in low-income neighborhoods are particularly vulnerable to the impact of ACEs um, on their mental and physical health and socio-emotional learning as well. So kind of taking all of this into consideration, um, the risk factors of ACEs and the consequences of ACEs, there are ways to prevent it as well, kind of on an individual level, but I think maybe even more importantly, sometimes on a community level. So Mike will be diving into that now. All right, and thanks Arushi, that's the perfect segue into preventing ACEs. And so some ways that we can prevent ACEs is to strengthen economic supports for families, uh, promoting social norms that protect against violence and adversity through public education campaigns, legislative approaches, uh, reducing corporal punishment, bystander approaches, and uh, men and boys as allies in that prevention, ensuring a strong start for children through early childhood home visitation, high quality childcare, and enriching preschools with family engagement, uh, teaching skills for social emotional learning, safe dating and healthy relationship skill programs, um, parenting skills and family relationship approaches, uh, connecting youth to caring adults and activities through after school programs, and intervening to lessen the immediate and long-term harms through enhanced primary care, survivor-centered services, increased access to therapy for individuals, and family-centered interventions. And as you kind of mentioned those things, Mike, it got me thinking about how important I think a community is in a person's development, but also how inaccessible and unaffordable a lot of the things are that are 
really important and almost essential, I would say, like, like you mentioned, the quality daycare, daycare services, enriching preschool experiences, um, if it increased access to therapy, which I know we've talked about like so many times by this point. Um, but it just really makes you stop and think about how, yeah, of course, immediate family matters so much in one's development, but also just the general environment and community that someone was raised in also plays a big role. And I think maybe bigger than a lot of people realize sometimes. So that's something that kind of came to mind for me as you were kind of going down that list. And, oh, sorry, are you gonna? <laughs> no, sorry, I, was, I, was, I wasn't gonna say anything, but the one thing that I will say is that it, it just seems like um, having a strong support system for the, for the child and um, especially being proactive in that sense, um, if, if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, just kind of surrounding the, the child with, with supports to kind of help them through any, any traumatic event or any ACEs that they experience to kind of help buffer that stress and help buffer that impact. I think that's the one thing that I took away from that section, mm-hmm. um, but I just summarized it all in very easy words. Because yeah. I, <laughs> I was having trouble with some of these words before for people who don't know, I was having some some, some trouble before. I was doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess moving forward on an individual level, um, ACEs can also be contracted by resiliency, but what does that mean? Because we've heard that word a lot, but what exactly is it? So resilience is an individual's ability to overcome adversity and continue their normal and typical development. So the single most important factor that influences a child's resilience is having the support, kind of as Mike just mentioned, support systems, um, of at least one stable and committed relationship with a parent, caregiver, or another adult. In addition, we have some suggestions from the American Psychological Association of things that caregivers can do to promote resilience in children. So just kind of going down the list of their suggestions. Teaching a child how to make friends and build a strong family network. If it's, a li- if it's in alignment with your belief system, um, whether you are religious or spiritual or even neither, introducing your child to the concept of connecting with a higher power if it feels relevant to you and your family. Help your child by having them help others. Maintain a daily routine and encourage play. Teach your child self-care, including eating properly, exercising, and getting adequate rest. And I think in terms of self-care, also teaching them that it's essential and not optional. Teaching your child to set reasonable goals and nurture a positive self-view and help your child see that there is a future beyond whatever current situation they may be experiencing and that the future can be good. And lastly, teaching your child that accepting that change is a part of living and it's something we will experience all throughout life and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that we have to go through and grow through as well. So knowing all of that, I think we have reached kind of the, the end of our content for this episode. Um, Mike, did you have any closing thoughts or comments or anything you wanted to add? I was just going to say, how does it feel being uh, done our first podcast of, of the day, considering uh, it's, been, it's been a while since we've, uh, we've recorded? Yeah, no, it feels good. I feel like we're back at it. I mean, it's the first of many today. People won't know that, but it is. <laughs> Um, but no, it, it feels good. And I think this was a nice episode to kick it off with. How about you? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm just starting to shake off the rust, to be yeah. honest. Even however many episodes deep that we're in, I think I still, we were kind of talking about this before, just like leading up to this, I was like, I have to remember how to like pod- <laughs> podcast properly. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a while. We, we recorded a lot of episodes last time, almost like we, did, almost yeah. like we are today. So uh, yeah, definitely still shaking off the rust, I feel. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back into it. I know we will. <laughs> but okay. Um, so I guess that is pretty much it for our episode. And I'm just going to dive into our fun fact, if that's okay with you, Mike. Yeah. So um, it's been found recently that experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic may soon be considered an adverse childhood experience. Um, it's not, I guess, that fun of a fact, but just more of kind of like a thinking piece um and i'm curious mike what are your thoughts on this if you have any yeah i don't know if i like agree or disagree with that statement i i don't i'm feeling very ambivalent about that idea um but the one thing that i will say after kind of doing research on grief and shadow losses hint hint nudge nudge to our listeners um i i think that the loss associated with the pandemic um depending on the the kiddo it could maybe be an an ace um for them Mm -hmm. just from that like that loss of whatever they might be experiencing whether it might actually be the loss of a loved one or um the loss of something um and so that's the one thing i would say like it might maybe it depends on on the kiddo and um how they experience the pandemic i guess yeah, I, I don't really have like a yes or no, like it is an ace. Yeah. It, it's kind of a tough question to to answer. What do you uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think I I think I'm kind of sitting in the middle as well. I think they're definitely something with the pandemic definitely could be considered to be an adverse childhood experience. I don't know if experiencing the pandemic itself is an ace. But also I'm saying that as somebody who is no longer a child, maybe for a child, they would have a different um answer for that but I think kind of like you mentioned like the loss that came with the pandemic whether it was an actual loss or the loss of an experience or anything of that sort might be considered an ace I don't know if the experience of the pandemic itself could be um but saying it now I'd be curious to to talk to a child about this just to kind of see what their interpretation of all of this is because I think so many kids reacted to this differently I mean some kids love being at home and doing school from home and spending time with mom and dad and their siblings but other kids love being at school so I I think it depends and I think it's not that black and white so my answer is not black and white either (laughs) um but it's just something for you all to think on and I'm yeah so we just wanted to share that with you all yeah I think that was a that's a great question to reflect on um for sure to kind of frame the pandemic in a little bit of a a different a different light as well so Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah Alrighty. I was going to say the exact same thing. I was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. So <laughs> thank you everyone for tuning in this week. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast and would like to reach out to us, you can reach us uh, at cydcpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have added the resources from this podcast in the link in the descriptions. As always, thank you to Dr. Colin King for giving us this opportunity to record the podcast. The intro music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube, and the outro music was written by Waterboy on SoundCloud, and both links are also in the description below. 
and we will see everyone next week. Arushi, I will see you in five minutes where we will be talking about (laughs) sleep. So uh, thank you all for listening and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.